And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hey folks, welcome into Onto Waveland. It's the Cubs podcast here at The Athletic. I am Brett Taylor, joined by Patrick Mooney, Nosahad of Sharma today. But we are going to talk uh, a variety of Cubs things. I want to plug here at the top, and you'll have to indulge me, Mooney, that uh, John Greenberg, also of The Athletic uh, in Chicago, did a little like fan survey of variety of media things in the Chicago market. And our little podcast, it, it was like fourth among, I think, favorite pod- podcasts. So that was, that was good. And okay. yours truly came in second among favorite like uh, Twitter users. Uh, apparently I was behind Dan Bernstein by one vote. So just, <laughs> you know, folks uh, at Bleacher Nation, if you want to, if you want to give it a follow and be part of the second best uh, Chicago based Twitter account. So there you go. And a plug of course, for John Greenberg and his excellent media adjacent work. I always find it interesting. Are you bummed just- Mooney that you, that you didn't feature prominently in that, the the twit you know chicago twitter user list i mean as you can tell i'm a very uh frequent tweeter <laughs> these days uh basically sending out my <laughs> uh links to articles but no well well deserved brett i enjoy our conversations on this podcast because it helps me crystallize certain ideas and i think i told you a long time ago that uh i had always checked out Bleacher Nation, but there was one point during the rebuild when like you retweeted something about some old Red Sox prospect was DFA'd and you kind of put like a Cubs connection on it. And I just like lost my mind in that moment. I was like, it's too much, too much Red Sox, Cubs, rebuild overload. So I unfollowed you briefly at that point, but since refile. But during that time, I did always, uh, I do like going to Bleacher Nation uh, you know, especially like if you're on vacation, if you're out the weekend, it's a good way uh, to get a good snapshot of what's going on with the Cubs, uh, good or bad. Well, thanks. I'm glad I earned you back. And also, that's a good um, good note. I hadn't thought about it. The, the last time the Cubs were going through a rebuild, because the front office had been largely ported over from the Red Sox, there were just constant Red Sox connections. And it, uh, you know, it was only logical to anytime something would happen with the Red Sox, you sort of pointed out because frankly, they did uh, end up making so many connections with the Cubs this time around, not, not really noticing that same, you know, there's not a specific connection. So I guess, I guess that's better or maybe more interesting this time around. Um, Speaking of which, we, you know, we were talking before we started podcasting and you, you helped me figure out a way to set up this episode and sort of what we're going to talk about, which is right now heading to this weekend, there's, there's this 
pretty interesting convergence of a lot of different themes and moments and events all, all sort of coming together at the same time. And it's, you know, you've got the Cubs having uh, built up a pretty healthy losing streak as they, you know, engage in this second rebuild. And uh, you've got the Orioles who are on a 10 game winning streak now uh, coming out of their very long rebuild and uh, beating the Cubs a couple games. Then you've got the Mets coming in this weekend, they being a team that has spent aggressively to sustain a long, longer period of competitiveness. Uh, at least that's what they're envisioning from here on out. And uh, the draft, of course, begins this weekend and the all-star festivities this weekend where, you know, we're going to see Wilson Contreras and Ian Happ participating with the Cubs caps on and you wonder how much longer they will be with the Cubs. So it's a lot of things coming together all at once this weekend that, you know, none of it is, I think, unexpected to us, but it's just, it is wild to think about all these things coming together in one single weekend in the middle of a season that otherwise is kind of wanting for big, important moments. Yeah, I mean, you and I... And Sahadev, when he's not on vacation, uh, <laughs> try to balance the positive and the negatives and try to give an accurate snapshot of what's going on. And sometimes it feels like you're talking out of you know both sides of your mouth, right? Like the Cubs are a bad Major League Baseball team. It is not an entertaining product. They came into the season with very little hope for being relevant, and it was gone by like, what, early May? If, if um, I'm not sure if they that, survived April. Yeah, um, yeah, they're what six and four. There is that seventeen nothing or twenty one nothing win over right. the Pirates, right? That was when they were turning the <laughs> turning the page. <laughs> that was the you know it was a great beautiful day at Wrigley, and you know they went off and uh, yeah. So there was that game. You know, our friend John Greenberg mentioned earlier loves the I think he calls it the sizzle reel at Cubs convention if that still exists. Um, you could just do that game and then kind of fade to black and then do grainy like Pete Crow Armstrong highlights uh, from South Bend. Um, but at the same time, like, you know, we've seen and you've laid this out on Bleacher Nation of, okay, fan graphs is not like the gospel, but they've, you know, bumped up the Cubs farm system to number six. You've got... Uh, their first top 10 selection since Ian Happ in 2015 coming up this weekend. You do have Pete Crow Armstrong going to the Futures game. Um, something I mentioned today in uh, my story was we all get that, you know, the smart guys don't think winning matters in, in the minor leagues, that, you know, player development is the top priority. And there's certainly truth to that. But, like, if you have talent, shouldn't it be showing up? Like, good players win games, right? And the Cubs minor league system, by that measure, is a lot better. And we talked about this previously, Brett, your Twitter thread coming out of Dodger Stadium. Like, there are so many things happening behind the scenes that it's, you know, uh, sometimes misleading to just point at one thing, like Cubs payroll, Dodgers payroll, that there are, while that's true and while the disparity shouldn't be the way it is, there are lots of elements that go into forming a successful organization. And if you look back at 2019, the Cubs double A and high A affiliates, which should have been kind of a, a new wave of talent 
cresting towards Wrigley Field. I mean, both those teams were something like 51 and 81 or 55 and 82, something like that. I mean, last place teams in the minors just getting, you know, uh, getting beat over and over and over again. And I think there are there are signs of progress if you want to look for them. And, and I think it's also understandable if you're just checked out and if you're like, you know what, dude, when they're – when they're good in the big leagues, you know, I'll get back to you. Like that's to, like I don't want to spend my money on this. That's a valid viewpoint as well. And I think this weekend, this week, next week up to the trade, it's all of these things are kind of uh crashing into each other here. Yeah, and none of them have much to do with the performance of the big league team after the trade deadline. <laughs> I mean, it's um yeah. I think your point is well taken that it is you know, doing the Wrigley thing, I, I think uh, some people get really cynical about um, somehow not being okay to just enjoy going to Wrigley and having a good time with friends in the sun and, and being in a baseball game where you don't really have to care that much about the outcome. But I think there's there's value in that. It's just that I don't know how many seasons in a row you want that to be what your baseball team is about. And, uh, you know, this is year two where certainly after the trade deadline last year and for most of this season, you know, the actual baseball on the field feels pretty secondary to a lot of stuff that that experience at Wrigley Field. Yes. But then also everything that we're talking about now about the farm system and about the trade deadline and, and all of these things that are going to hopefully impact the Cubs in a positive way after this season, as soon as after the season, Lord, I hope. Uh, but it's it's still going to be, um, you know, I, I'm thinking about watching the game last night as the Cubs uh, went down early to the Orioles. Uh, Justin Steele was coming off the paternity list. Congrats to the Steels. Uh, Bo Steele, by the way, that's that's the name of the kiddo. What a name. Like he's solid, solid. He, name. He, I need to see him in the draft in 18 years so that he can be one of those guys. I don't know if you always see those lists of like the best names in the draft. <laughs> And there's there's these crazy, wild, awesome names. He absolutely would make that list. So I'm looking forward to that in 18 years. Uh, and uh, so he comes off paternity list and, you know, does look a little rusty at first. Um, the fastball didn't have quite the same late life that it usually does. The slider wasn't commanded as well. And, you know, it felt like it was going to be a, uh, one of those situations where you have to kind of excuse it and say, well, he's a little rusty. You understand. Congrats on the new kid and come back next time. Uh, but to his credit, really stabilized himself about halfway through the second mm-hmm. inning and ended up going and throwing a quality start. Just the three earned runs over his six innings of work. And I thought that was tremendously impressive. Uh, it spoke to some of these future things uh, that we're talking about. But it was also the the rare bright spot in a game this year, especially in a game that otherwise was pretty bereft of enjoyable things. And a lot of these games this year, just they feel like that where you're sort of marching toward the conclusion. And then some of your fringier bullpen arms come in and they don't do that well. And the game kind of becomes not, it just becomes not worth following as closely as personally I would like to follow these games. I like to obsess about the minutia of an individual pitch or a, a, given play at a base and it's just i don't know i'm getting tired of not caring about that stuff and i see these other teams that are winning a lot of games 
and you can sense for them and their fans how it's just how much matter how much more these games matter and i i miss that and i do think about it at times like this where we have like i said this confluence of winning teams facing the cubs at the same time as the draft is about to happen and i am excited for the draft uh and then the all-star game and those festivities which i do enjoy uh but they're gonna be a little tinged like they were last year you remember they were like interviewing chris bryant in the outfield during the (laughs) all-star game about being traded oh man i i hope we don't have a repeat of that this year but um so i yeah there's there's just a a weird mix of feelings at this moment and you know, I'll I'll know how to put on my different hats as the trade deadline approaches. And then after the trade deadline, there will be things to evaluate and analyze on this team. But I think it's just a little harder right now because of the confluence of all this stuff to get much out of the the play on the field at the big league level. And that sucks for fans. That just kind of sucks. It is hilarious thinking back to that uh Chris Bryant interview and now, you know, going to YouTube to find Jeff Samarja's introduction at the 2014 All-Star game. He's got this great like smirk on his face while Joe Buck announces like, you know, you know elected to the NL All-Star team, but <laughs> ineligible to play because he got traded to Oakland. Jeff Samarja, <laughs> it's just like dips his cap and kind of smirks and, you know, the camera moves away and even, you know. <laughs> The Contreras brothers is this amazing story, you know, of two two brothers growing up and making the all-star game and starting together. And, you know, their parents are going to be there to have a big you know, family celebration. And it's like, you know, is Wilson going to leave Dodger Stadium and meet the Cubs in Philadelphia after the all-star break? Or is he going to be uh, kind of scrambling? I think... The uncertainties surrounding the qualifying offer system will probably delay things a bit, and we can get into that if you want. But uh, certainly, uh, Wilson Contreras, who spent almost half his life in the Cubs organization, you know, everything is kind of coming to a head for him here too, individually. Yeah, and I do want to get into that actually because I appreciated your reminder this morning. Mooney wrote a piece at the Athletic that you should check out. That's about a lot of these processes that we're talking about and about Wilson Contreras. And he reminds folks um, about something that for a lot of people might otherwise be kind of arcane and unimportant, but it actually matters quite a bit to the Cubs right now in this moment, which is if you'll recall back to the conclusion of the CBA negotiations. And I know you don't want to think about it. I don't want to think about it either. I've tried to put that (laughs) period just completely out of mind, but Part of the way they were able to finally get a deal done was because they punted on the topic of the international draft uh, and the qualifying offer system. They tied them together and then they punted. And effectively, the players in the league have to either come up with a plan for an international draft by July 25th. That's 11 days from now. Uh, And if they can, then the qualifying offer system goes away. If they cannot, the qualifying offer system stays in place. Now, why does that matter for this trade deadline in this period of time? Well, because Wilson Contreras, if there is no international draft and if there is a qualifying offer system, the Cubs are going to want to know that they at least have the baseline ability to make him that qualifying offer after the season and thus qualify for some draft pick compensation. 
uh, if they don't trade him. If they know to the contrary that the system is going away and they know that uh, he will no longer be eligible for any kind of draft pick compensation or, or at least within the confines of the qualifying offer system, making him that one year offer, then that's going to impact the way that they think about what they may or may not accept uh, in trade this year. So I think we're probably going to see Contreras um, remaining with the Cubs at least uh, to July 25th, to, you know, pending that decision and um, probably a bit longer. I, I feel like last year was a good example of um, a preference to take these things to the wire because that's really when you can get the best deal. But I, I mention it now in part two because it's like, all right, Cubs fans, you can at least enjoy Wilson Contreras in a Cubs uniform for, you know, maybe two more weeks at least. And, and I don't think we'll have a, a Samarja repeat at the All-Star game. Yeah, what kind of sparked my interest was noticing two agents from Octagon, the firm that represents Contreras, just showing up at Wrigley Field the other day and Carter Hawkins walking them uh, onto the field during batting practice. And it's, the timing was interesting, but I think the essence of the visit was more of just checking in with a guy before he heads out to the all-star game with his younger brother, who's also represented by the same firm and octagon uh, has a long time year round presence in Chicago. It's not unusual for them to show up at Wrigley fields. You know, when the Cubs go to San Diego or Dodger stadium, you'll see people from Boris Corp or Wasserman, you know, touching base with their guys. And certainly when, a guy uh, makes his third all-star game. Um, you're going to check in. So I didn't, uh, my read on it was not some sort of like big breakthrough, uh, you know, meeting for the Cubs and Contreras' camp. If there was, they certainly wouldn't have been walking around Wrigley Field with like 20 reporters and five cameras uh, on the field. But it did spark, in my mind, like you say, Brad, this unresolved issue from uh, these arcane negotiating sessions between uh, the owners and the players union. And Wilson uh, is one example of that outstanding issue. And, you know, we did see last year, Jed valued uh, prospects in hand more than potential draft picks. And, you know, I'm not going to totally rule out the idea of Wilson coming back. I think those things are always extremely unlikely and I wouldn't necessarily bet on it, but like, Hey, you never know. Right. I mean, Wilson uh, loves it here by all accounts. The Cubs have seemed to go out of their way to uh, maintain a cordial relationship. Wilson has had a very mature attitude towards these uh various uncertainties and you know the cubs will have a lot of financial flexibility this off season uh the dh wilson's natural athleticism and his uh ability to be a versatile defender maybe all those factors his intangibles I guess there's not a, you know, there's a non-zero chance that he could come back. I guess I just wouldn't, you know, bank on it or anything like that. And, you know, that's what we're saying 
now too, right? I mean, who knows how these next couple of weeks are going to unfold and if that changes or how the landscape shifts or where he winds up. You know, we all thought KB was going to wind up in the perfect spot in San Francisco and the Giants didn't really have much interest in bringing him back on his terms. Um, you know, similar with Javi and the Mets, like, you know, you thought it would be this great platform for L. Mago and it didn't quite work out, but they were willing to bring him back to be uh, Francisco Lindor's buddy. And obviously, Anthony Rizzo has found a great situation uh, at Yankee Stadium. So, still a lot to sort out. And that's why we have all these different ideas kind of swirling in our heads as we try to, you know, think about our coverage plan for the next few days and weeks here. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Yeah, that's a good point about you, it's hard to even predict what could happen in the offseason because last year was a reminder of how much could change uh, between now and the offseason in terms of the player and the market and the teams and the you know valuations. And I think an interesting it's, – uh, it's, it's not even really a side conversation about Contreras. It's, it's kind of a primary one, which is we don't really know how he is valued – on the market uh, because, you know, precisely yes. because he's only been with the Cubs, we know how the Cubs value him and how we as evaluators value him. But, you know, he's never been a free agent. He's never been traded. Um, he was only ever in the Cubs farm system. And uh, it'll be interesting as a, a critically important related part of any conversation about Wilson's future is how do other teams see the value in his bat relative to questions about the glove relative to him being a 30 year old catcher, you know, all of these things that I think make it difficult to project what's going to happen, uh, you know, maybe in terms of a signing in the off season or, uh, even how much the Cubs want to aggressively pursue bringing him back. I think that's another thing we don't really know. I think, you know, I don't know how much of this is me grafting my own reactionary perspective onto the thoughts of the front office, but there has been, it has felt to me as if there's a bit of a desire to just sort, sort of wholly move on from the previous core, the previous period of time and, and, and start fresh. And would that mean maybe there isn't as much interest in retaining Wilson Contreras, even at a reduced price that he's not going to take anyway, but even at a reduced price compared to what he might get on the open market. I, I don't know the answer to those things. It's just, I think it's a lot harder to evaluate him in that regard 
compared to like when we would have these conversations about Javi Baez specifically, you know, we knew that the Cubs and Baez had engaged in serious long-term extension talks in the recent relative past, you know, compared to when he was traded, pandemic kind of screwed that up. And I think it was a little easier to know, okay, I think these are the circumstances under which the Cubs would be happy to bring Javi back and where it would make sense. And here's how it would fit. I have a, I have a harder time doing that with Wilson Contreras. Cause I just, I don't quite know what the headspace is for the organization and uh, for even for this rebuilding process. Like what, what do they want to set up in terms of the catching infrastructure next year for the young pitchers coming up? Don't know. Couldn't say. I think that's another thing that we're going to have to evaluate in the months ahead. Those are great points, Brett. And I think what I have or we have gathered thus far is that there's definitely something to what you're saying of Jed wanting to start over and to not be handcuffed to the core, you know, all caps um, moving forward. And that David Ross and his coaching staff wanted to do things a little bit differently. And while you know they had a, another super long losing streak right after the trade deadline, there was something invigorating for them in terms of being able to implement certain routines or ideas and things along those lines. I do think Wilson is a little bit different in that, you know, he's gotten a lot of uh, praise for how he's, worked with those young pitchers and that he has stepped up as, as a leader and voiced his opinions and something Tommy Hadovy had said to me a couple of weeks ago was, we've told Wilson, you know, gradually over the years, but particularly this season of, you know, if you're feeling something, if you're seeing something, don't hold it in. And that we've tried to impress this idea that if, if Wilson Contreras thinks you're pretty good, you're probably pretty good. And that carries a lot of weight with young pitchers. At the same time, we've seen this front office over and over again, lean on the numbers, the R and D, the projections, and really kind of devaluing the intangible and the human elements. Like that's great if it comes with it, but it's not something that, I would anticipate them paying for. They do like Jan Gomes and PJ Higgins. If you look at, you know, the teams that have won the world series recently, it's been with kind of low cost defensive first type receivers. And then this is once again, on one hand, on the other hand, you know, Wilson, you know, what if the DH does do something for preserving his career. And he's not catching 100 games, and maybe he's only catching 50. And I do think you're right. Like, you know, everyone, you know, with these star players, like envisions the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. And for a lot of guys, it happens. But I don't know. I mean, you track this stuff, right? Isn't there every offseason there's, you know, one, two, three, four, five guys who are just lingering out there and like teams aren't jumping all over them for whatever reason. And we, you know, there are 30 teams out there, but there's always what, like 10 teams just not trying to win. There'll be a couple more that won't be able to afford Wilson. There'll be a couple more that already have uh, 
established catchers, you know, whatever, whatever the reason is. So it's not, it's not crazy to envision a scenario where like the Cubs are in that conversation. And I think they want to be in that conversation and to at least monitor things in case something does happen. Now that's not, you know, probably the vision that you want to hear. If you're a Cubs fan, you want, you'd want probably, you know, someone pounding the table like we like we need Wilson we want Wilson that's just kind of not how they operate and it will be fascinating to see if things do align to where you know it almost never happens but there are those exceptions whether it's Roldis Chapman or, or Jason Hamill of guys who are traded and come back and you can have your cake and eat it too all right I think that's a good place to leave it for today to set up uh, all that is coming this weekend. Don't forget the draft. Uh, the first two rounds of the draft are Sunday uh, together after the Futures game, which will feature Pete Crow Armstrong. Then you've got the Home Run Derby. Uh, no no Patrick Wisdom in the Home Run Derby. That's it's total miss. You screwed up MLB. He would have been great. Uh, and then the All-Star game featuring Wilson and William Contreras. Uh, that is a great story. And Ian Happ, also a great story, by the way. I haven't been able to give it as much attention as I should because he's just been really solid this year, but good on him getting that all-star nod. Very deserved this year, and especially after the very difficult year he had um, last year, especially in the first half. So good on him. And uh, we will be back at you next week. I am Brett Taylor. You can get my stuff at Bleacher Nation. That's Patrick Mooney. Get his at The Athletic. We appreciate you as always, folks, and we hope you have a good weekend. Take care. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.